prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for Elaine uh, and Naoko and what, what you're doing in their life, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you would just continue to prepare their hearts and be with them. And Lord, as we open your word today, we ask that you would be with us, Lord. Speak to us through your word, God. Move upon us, Lord. And as you do, Lord, help us to grow and help us to get closer to you and fall in love with you even more and more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about how one morning the wife saw the husband hit the snooze button on the alarm for the third time. She went over to the bed and said, Honey, it's time to get up, get dressed, and go to church. The husband says, No, I don't want to go. And why is that? It's a beautiful day to go to church, said the wife. I'll give you three reasons, replied the broken-hearted husband. One, the congregation is cold. Two, no one likes me. And three, I just don't want to go. The wife then replied and said, well, let me give you three reasons why you should go. One, you're wrong. The congregation is very warm and loving. Two, there are actually some people who do like you. And three, well, you're the pastor. Well, it can be hard in ministry sometimes. Today, we continue our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. And in this section, we're going to see Paul opens up his heart and shares how tough it's really been dealing with the believers in the Corinthian church. So Paul shares what breaks the heart. What breaks the heart. And that's the title of our message this morning. What breaks the heart? We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 12, picking up verse 11. We finished off in verse 10 last week, and now verse 11 through verse 21, we're going to finish off this chapter. Now, our outline today is this, and this is really the three things that we find here that breaks the heart. Number one, not remembering the work. Number two, not regarding the love. And number three, not repenting of sin. So let's begin here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Number one in our outline, not remembering the work. Verse 11, it reads, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. So let's try and understand what's going on here. Paul, he begins by saying he was compelled to talk like a fool and in boasting. So since, remember, chapter 10, Paul's been forced to do something he doesn't like to do. And what is that? Talk about himself. So he, that's the boasting that he's talking about. That's foolishness to him. But he has to, in defense of the false teacher's accusations and and, and how the false teacher is trying to get the Corinthian believers to follow them. Well, Paul has to say these things, has to talk about himself to have the, uh, make the Corinthian believers stop listening to the false teachers. So Paul has to resort to what they do, the false teachers. Paul has to act like a fool by listing his credentials just as the false teachers boast in theirs. Remember, Paul's... Uh, character, integrity, apostleship was 
being attacked, the false teachers, they were coming after him, and he had to defend himself by talking about himself, giving his resume, so to speak. And that's what we saw back in chapter 11. We saw that Paul's unlikely credentials were put out there. They were not his degrees or achievements or anything like that. Uh, and, and anything that, but they were really about his weaknesses. Remember. And then last time in the first part of chapter 12, Paul actually shared the thorn in his flesh that really humbled his pride and even more showed he is unable to do anything on his own. But it was there in his inability that Paul found, that was our title, right? When weakness is strength. If you missed that, you can grab the CD. And it is in that place that God had powerfully manifested himself in the apostleship of Paul. So as we come to verse 1, Paul goes on to say how he feels like this fool, you know, talking about himself, boasting, when it really should have been the Corinthian believers, where he says here in verse 1, who ought to have commended Paul. They should have talked about Paul. They should have commended and boasted about him. Paul then adds, for in nothing I was behind or in Inferior to what, remember, he calls the false teachers, the most eminent apostles. Back in 2 Corinthians 11, 5, he, he called these false teachers, oh, you guys are the quote-unquote eminent apostles, right? And that meant the super-duper apostles, like, oh, you guys are so great. You know, but Paul's saying, hey, you, you guys should have said something, and, and in no way I'm, I'm inferior to these guys, in no ways, I mean, to these super-duper guys. But then Paul adds this at the end of verse 1. Even though, as the false teachers say, I am really nothing at all. So the idea here is Paul writes it should have been the Corinthian believers that should have defended him against the false teachers. They should have been the ones talking about Paul, boasting about Paul, saying, no, he is apostle. He really is. But many of the believers there in the Corinthian church were like, Oh, yeah, yeah, listening to the false teachers. It should have been them that they were uh, uh, defending Paul. Now, I was thinking maybe Paul was, was, was in his mind, was Proverbs 27, 2. It says, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Right? That should be the way. Paul shouldn't have, had, have to say anything about himself. It should have been the Corinthian church well then paul writes in verse 12 truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds so paul's talking about when he came and stayed in corinth and he came and to the church he accomplished many miracles many signs he did works according to his calling as an apostle of jesus christ and we know that, right? We, as we study both 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, Paul brought the gospel to the city of Corinth. He, people got saved. Their lives are changed through Jesus Christ and transformed. And then Paul planted this church, the Corinthian church in this city, and he preached the word of God there, right, in the church. He was there for like a year and a half. And everything that he did there was done, he says, in perseverance, Here in verse 12. In other words, despite hostility, opposition, persecution, he didn't give up at all. Paul faithfully did what God wanted him to do. 
And so Paul came, and all these works happen at the end of verse 12, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Signs and wonders are like great miracles came through his ministry, came through him. Mighty deeds. Actually, the the Greek word is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. So these are incredible miracles and works of God that flow through the apostle Paul. Now, it's not recorded what these miraculous works that Paul did in Corinthian. We don't have anything in the Bible about that. But it must have been there, Paul's talking about. It must have been because Paul's saying, look, this, this, this was validating my apostleship. You guys know what, what God did through me when I was with you. I was thinking about this. If you looked in the book of Acts, God used Paul to work many miracles and wonders. Let me share some with you. In Acts 14, 7, Paul heals a man who was unable to walk. He was lame in his feet in Lystra. In Acts 16, 16, Paul cast out a demon, right, from the, the servant, the slave girl in Ephesus. In Acts 13, 11, Paul temporarily blinds that sorcerer, Elamus, e- right? In Acts 16, 26, the chains fall off Paul and Silas when they were in jail. In Acts 28, 5, remember when he was he, after being shipwrecked and they were on the island of, of Malta, a poisonous snake bites Paul as he's putting, making the fire and he just shakes it off in the fire and he doesn't die. And then later in Acts 28, Paul heals the, one of the leaders on the island of Malta and after that, everyone else comes with their sicknesses and they get healed. I like this. Remember in Acts 20:10, Paul was preaching. And he went kind of long, and then Eutychus fell out of the window. They're in the upper room, fell down, and he died. Well, Paul raises Eutychus from the dead. So that's a lesson. Don't fall asleep in the sermon, okay? Watch out. No, just kidding. Just kidding. And we know, and in Acts 19, verse 11 and 12, it says this, And God was doing extra, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So you can see just about every city that Paul traveled to on his missionary journeys where he witnessed Christ, where he, where he planted churches, just about every city, God did mighty works through him. So there must have been similar mighty works done here in the Corinthian church. So it's sad then how they are not remembering the works they should have been commending paul they should have been defending paul with the false teachers and what they're saying they were not remembering the works and paul adds another thing here in verse 13 for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that i myself was not burdensome to you forgive me this wrong in other words did i do anything less than what i did in other churches with you i mean it wasn't that But then, well, except there was one thing, that I was not burdensome with you. What's he talking about? Well, Paul did not receive support from the Corinthian church there. He did not receive that that support. Maybe he did for sure from other churches, but he did not do that with the Corinthian church. So Paul's like, oh, well, forgive me that I didn't take your money. Forgive me for that wrong, which is actually not that wrong. 
Paul did not do what was even normal for, for all the other apostles when they traveled on. That, that was the thing. You support the apostles in this way. But that did not mean he isn't one. One pastor said, they, talking about the false teachers, put Paul down for the very reasons he should have been applauded. Unlike the false prophets who liked the prophet, Paul had integrity. I like that because remember we were in, we, I mentioned before how the, back then Greek speakers and you know guys who were well known go around talking. I mean, they, they would receive money for when they went and spoke and had their debates and all of that. Well, the false teachers can't come and say, well, Paul doesn't receive money and so what? He's not a real apostle then, right? And remember, we went through the, the illogical thinking that was. So what is Paul saying here in our section? Well, this is our point. How could they so easily forget how wonderfully God worked through Paul, the apostle of the Lord? How could they so easily forget how wonderfully God worked through Paul, the apostle of the Lord? How could they do that? You know, I was thinking about this. I came across a list of top things we tend to forget. Number one, there uh, first off, there was names, right? I mean, uh, many of you, are like me, I, I, I forget names a lot of time. Uh, except my wife, because I got in trouble. No, just joking. <laughs> or how about forgetting where something is, yeah? Oh, where, where did I put that? Where's, where's my wallet? Where, where, where's, where's my keys? Or how about forgetting what something or what someone said? Yeah. Oh, uh, what'd you say in the sermon today? Oh, it's okay. Never mind. Or how about charging your phone, your your cell phone? Yeah. Sometimes we forget to charge. Oh no, it's dying. Or how about this? Uh, leaving wet clothes in the washing machine. Oh, I forgot to put it in the dryer. Sometimes we forget our PIN number or password. Or another thing on the list was about removing the. The, the clothing stickers, you know, on new clothes, like the sizes there, or tags, you know, and you're walking around. Hey, don't go out the door like that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Or how about what we were just talking about this morning, how, how you walk into a room and you go, oh, why did I come into this room? You know, kind of thing, right? Oh, oh, I don't know, maybe it's the age thing, but hey, you know, we forget things. But here's the top thing that the Corinthian believers forgot. They forgot how God powerfully was with Paul, powerfully worked in Paul. So when the false teachers came accusing Paul that God's not with them, he's, he's not a real apostle, apostle, they believed the lie. How could they so easily forget how wonderfully God worked through Paul? That's what Paul was, that's what broke his heart, that the Corinthians were not remembering the work. Not so much Paul. But what the Lord did through his ministry. I think about how many times I have broken God's heart. Just like the Corinthians are doing with Paul. When I easily forget what he has done in my life. Is that you too? I mean, we forget how God rescued us from sin. But then we go back to sin, right? We forget how God came and answered our prayer. And then we have doubt. Oh, God, I don't even know if you're going to help me today, right? We do the same 
things. How easily we turn from the Lord who done so much for us, so many miracles, answered our prayers, and we turn to other things after all the mighty works, those mighty miracles. Let us not be like Israel. In Psalm 106, uh, they're mentioned here in verse 19, it says, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Remember the story when they got to Mount Sinai, they made the, the golden calf after all the miracles God did. Verse 20 in Psalm 106 says, thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Verse 21, it says, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Right, The miracles, the plagues, and, and not just the plagues that came upon the Egyptians, which eventually they were set free, Israel was set free, but Israel, the Jews, none of the plagues affected them. They forgot about God, their Savior. In verse 22, Psalm 106 says, Wondrous works in the land of Ham, or another name for Egypt, awesome things by the Red Sea. And we know that powerful miracle, the parting of the Red Sea, when they were trapped there and the Egyptian army behind there and they're between the two mountains and nowhere else to go. God opened the Red Sea. They walked on dry land to safety. But they forgot their God, their Savior. Let us not be like these Corinthian Christians to Paul. Let us not be like Israel was to God. Let us not be like that to God, so quick to forget the work of God in our lives. Let's move on here to number two in our outline, not regarding the love. We see number one, what breaks the heart, number one, is not remembering the work. And now number two, Paul goes on to talk about not regarding the love. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. He writes, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So what's Paul saying here? Now, Paul continues on to say that he is to come and see the Corinthian believers for a third time. And we mentioned that in our studies here. Remember the first time he came? He brought Jesus, he planted the church. The second time he came to Corinth, well, that wasn't a great time because he had to confront some of the sin that they were still doing. Then the plan was come to come a third time. This is what he's talking about. As it were the other times, he didn't want to be burdensome. In other words, as he mentioned in the previous previous verse, he, he's going to come, I'm going to provide for myself, you guys don't need worry about giving me any support i'll take care of myself and then why is that well i love what he says for i do not seek yours but you what he's saying i do not seek yours in other words i do not seek your money it's not about getting money from you i'm not going to ask you about that but you know what i seek i seek you isn't that beautiful i'm not in it for the money i'm coming to see you guys that's what it's about. That's what I care about, you. And then he adds, besides that, isn't that what fathers do? He says uh, a little saying back then, little little proverb, so to speak, that children should not have to pay for their parents. The parents should be the ones to take care of the children, right? I mean, a, a parent's not going to say, hey, give me some money for dinner. What? I thought you were supposed to pay. 
hey, you're four years old, now go get one job, you know, kind of thing, right? No, that's backwards, right? Paul, remember, was one, the one who brought them to Jesus. So literally, he was their spiritual father. So it's hard is to provide for them. Interesting thought, one of the commentators mentioned that. Paul probably also felt like ah, the Corinthian guys are a little immature spiritually, and so he doesn't want to put that on them right now. So here's Paul. He, he was different from the false teachers who traveled around to make money. But Paul's like, no, I'm here for you. It's about you. I want to be with you because I care for you. One time I heard how someone played a pa- practical joke on Pastor Chuck, you know, who started all the Calvary chapels. And, and they wrote this TV prosperity teacher saying that, oh, Calvary Chapel would like them to come and preach at the church. Well, they responded, and sadly, with a list of requirements. Uh, if the church was to have this person, they needed to fulfill these requirements. And the first thing was, well, the speaker needed first-class tickets and coach seats for his two assistants. So the church was to pay for that. And then secondly, a full suite, not just a room at this fancy hotel. And thirdly, if they wanted the speaker to come, they wanted a $10,000 honorarium. Crazy. Paul's not like that. Paul's like, no, I'm coming for you. No worries. I'm going to provide for myself. I want to be with you. I don't want to mix any signals here, especially with what the false teachers do. Paul then says, as we go on in verse 15, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. What a sad verse. I mean, what a verse this is. You know, Paul is willing like a parent to sacrifice everything for these Corinthian believers. His heart is to gladly spend. That means like exhaust all, exhaust all his finances. Like, you know, no worries. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll pay. And be spent, he says. That means exhaust all his time and effort for them, for their souls, for them. For the sake of their spiritual well-being. Paul was definitely like a parent to their children and even more. Bruce Barton wrote in in his commentary, Paul's love for them was more than a parental love. It was a self-sacrificial love. It's really the heart of God, right? It's really the same thing that Jesus does for us. Yet, we see here in this verse, the Corinthian believers treated Paul very badly he goes on here in verse 15 to say but you know what the more abundantly which in the greek there when you see those words it's like exceedingly above all much more than you can think he goes more abundantly exceedingly much more i love you i loved you sadly the less they love him back paul was heartbroken for they were not regarding the love that he was showing them through all of this he's coming just for them no worry about the money i'm I'm not there just for the i'm not there to grab your money no i'm there for you you know what i think about i think about how heartbroken god was with israel in the old testament remember when he said in jeremiah 2 13 the lord said for my people have done two evil things they have abandoned me the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, Israel abandoned the Lord who was their sustenance spiritually and 
provisionally, materially. It, God was the one who put the nation together, bless Jerusalem, bless them. But they abandoned the Lord after all that he did, after all the love that he showed them. I think I, I see God with, and feeling the same way as Paul does here with the Corinthians. Verse 16, though, Paul says, But be that as it may, I did not burden you. That is what he's saying is though they haven't regarded the love, they haven't returned, Paul still spends his own money to be with them. He's, he, he's not like, they, oh, forget it then. Forget it. I am going to charge you now, you know, kind of thing. No, he says, be, be, uh, be that as it may. You know, I'm not going to burden you still. Even though you, you never loved me back like that. It's okay. It's okay. Then he says this, nevertheless, verse 16, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? Well, Paul is saying, yet there were, there's still some people there, even though he's not going to burden them, even though it, out of his own love and care for them, there's still some of the people there thinking that he's being crafty. Oh, there must be something up with him. He's being sneaky. He's ta- he's acu- they're accusing Paul of taking advantage of the Corinthians still by cunning or by trickery. But did Paul really do that? Paul's like, hey, did I take advantage of you? Did I really do that? And even by sending those who I sent to you, you know, even the guys that he sent on ahead of them, did they take advantage? No. No, Paul never did, not even his guys. And he explains in verse 18, I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Remember we learned back in chapter 8 how Paul had sent Titus, Paul's assistant and disciple, assistant and disciple, and that unnamed brother uh, uh, in the Lord. He sent them ahead to the church there in Corinth, and, and they embraced them. Do you remember that? They received them. So Paul's like, did they take advantage of you? Did you know that they come with the same spirit in the same way? They carry themselves in the same walk in the same way that I do? I mean, Titus... And the unnamed brother, they're not any different from me, Paul is saying. So why are you listening to the false teachers? You received these guys. You thought they were great. You opened their arms welcomely. Yet, why you received them lovingly. Yet, you reject my love and listen to these false teachers and their accusations, saying that I'm trying to trick you and get money out of you. Look at them, you know. So what's Paul saying? His point here is this. How could you so easily be taken in by the false teachers and be blind to how much I love you? That's Paul's point. How could they so easily be taken in by the false teachers and be blind to how much Paul loved them? It's like this little four-year-old girl who came up to her mother with two rag dolls that were in both arms. And she hopelessly cried, Mama, I love them and I love them, but they never love me back. That's how the Corinthians were with Paul. That's how Paul must have felt with these guys. He does so much for them, showing his love. But as soon as these false teachers come, say these things. Oh, yeah, 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 Paul. They, they, they hook, line, and sinker. 
They take the bait and follow them. They're so blind. All of a sudden, they're blind to Paul's love. But isn't that how we can be with the Lord? I mean, hasn't God provided for us, taken care of us, been there for us, showering us, pouring out his love upon us? And even think about how he sent his own son to die for us and provided for our salvation. We don't have to do any works. We're saved by grace through faith, right? Not of works. It's a gift, right? He did it all. He did everything. We just go and believe and give our heart and life to him. Yet what do we do in return? Do we love God back? Do we have any regard to God's love at all? Or we only come when, oh, we need something, yeah? Oh, no, I'm in an emergency situation. 911, God, here's my prayer. But after Paul, what? Oh, whatever, yeah? And you go off and you live your life and you forget about all the love, all everything that the Lord has done for you. I'll never forget when I was talking to one of the long-term patients at Kula Hospital. As, as you know, Dean and the group go up there every month. I remember he was, he was just talking story and he was just telling me, oh, he, he hasn't seen his kids for a long time. And then he told me, you know, they used to come around a lot when I had money. But then I have no more money, and, and sadly, I ran out, and they don't come around so much anymore. Is that how we treat God's love, that, that we don't come around so much anymore? Let's go on to number three now, not repenting of sin. What breaks our heart? Well, Paul shares not remembering the work. Number two, not regarding the love. And now number three, not repenting of sin. And this is our last section here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. He writes, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God and Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Paul says, in other words, Paul is in other words saying, don't think that we are making excuses here. Like trying to defend ourselves to you against what these guys are saying. No, we're speaking before God. What, what we say is the truth, and what we say, it's really for your edification. It's for, for you guys. It's not about us and defending us and making us look better. No, it's for you guys. Unlike the false teachers, as we saw in chapter 10, who are trying to build themselves up, right? Paul's not here for that. He's here to build them up spiritually so they would grow he's just saying these things before the lord in truth that they would grow and they would see the truth of their deception and not be led astray everything paul did everything paul sacrificed everything paul gave was to help the corinthian believers to grow in the lord every letter he wrote every prayer he prayed every person he sent every visit he made was not to throw his weight around right to 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 make him big and have authority no he had one goal and that was to build up the corinthian believers in jesus christ and that was his heart but Paul is afraid that the false teachers and the enemy has really led them astray and stopped that growth and edification. He goes on here in verse 20. For I fear 
lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, well, if Paul comes, right, and finds him still living a sinful life, still allowing the sin in their life, then you know what? They'll find Paul in a way they don't wish. They'll find Paul having to seriously deal with that sin. So Paul's afraid that, ah, I'm going to have to come and deal with this. So Paul fears, and then he says in the rest of the verse, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Paul's like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to find, and I'm going to find these things. And he lists these things. And these are things that have been dealt with in 1 Corinthians. These are things that, that we've talked about. And he's like, oh, I hope it's not there. I hope he doesn't find, he says, contentions. That's quarreling with one each other. Jealousies. That's envying each other. Maybe in their abilities. Remember, oh, I have this spiritual gift, 1 Corinthians. Remember, oh, I got this great gift, and that gift is better, or this, and I can speak in tongues, and oh, you don't, and you're, so you're not really feeling, you know, those kinds of things. Outbursts of wrath. That's having a short temper. And we know that's not a fruit of the Spirit, right? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Patience. Selfish ambition. I mean, this is what the false teachers were, and as they are like that, so were the people only looking out for their own gain, their own things, yeah, getting ahead of everyone else. Backbitings. What is that? Well, we know what that is. Uh, it's slandering each other behind your back. Whisperings. And that's really speaking about gossip. Yeah, did you hear? Right? What does all these things do? Really bring division in the body. So you can imagine what's going on in the Corinthian church. Conceits. Literally, that's being inflated, and that's being inflated with pride. Tomits, that's talking about disorderly behavior. So with all this, these things in this list, Paul fears his church, when he comes, will not be walking with God, but will be living out the flesh. Paul wrote in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in Galatians, after that, Paul actually lists many of the things that he wrote right here. So you can see Paul, so I hope I don't find you guys walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And I hope that doesn't describe you, right? And then our last verse today, Paul writes in verse 21, lest... When I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn. For many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. So if Paul came and found the Corinthian believers unrepentant in these things, it would humble him because he really thought more highly of them. And remember Paul, he, he, remember he was boasting about the Corinthians, how, how great they were earlier in this book, and how he, he, he loves them, so he believes in the best of them, but he goes, maybe I'll be humble, because it won't be like, how, how much I believed in you. And he would mourn. He would be 
in grief. He would grieve so much. Why? Well, for the many who sinned before and will have not repented. Like, oh, I talked to them. I wrote the letter, 1 Corinthians, but then they're still in sin and I come and I'll mourn because they haven't repented. And he gets really specific here in this area, repented of their uncleanness. And this speaks of sexual immorality. And then he mentions there, next, for their sin of fornication, which we know is sex outside of your marriage. Lewdness, or outside of marriage, lewdness is shameful, lustful sexual conduct. And, and, and understand, in, in, in the city of Corinth, I mean, it was known for its debauchery and, and sexual immorality. It was known for their lewdness in like sexual orgies and all that. Remember when they worshiped in the temple, oh, the, the pagan temple there. Which Paul says at the end of this verse, they have practiced. So what is he saying? They continually do. Not they stumbled here or stumbled there, but they keep on doing. Paul writes, the idea really is that it would be a very sad visit if he comes to find the Corinthian believers not repenting of sin. Especially what he's already talked about. And that's what breaks the heart for Paul. John MacArthur wrote, Paul was so sick at heart over the situation at Corinth that he became depressed. Now he dreaded the sorrow he would experience if he again found unrepentant sinners in the Corinthian church. So our last point here is this. Paul hopes with all his loving heart that the Corinthian believers will be serious about dealing with their sin. Paul hopes with all his loving heart that the Corinthian believers will be serious about dealing with their sin. I read about a young girl who gave her life to the Lord at church one day, and then later on, someone asked her, what were you before that moment? Well, she replied, a sinner. Then she, then she was asked, well, what are you now? And she answered, a sinner. Then they said, okay, well, what's the difference then? She, she, she said this, before I was a sinner running after sin, but now I'm a sinner running from sin. I like that. That's exactly what Paul hopes in the Corinthian believers. That they're not still running after sin, but now they're running away from sin in serious repentance. Where are you today? Let me ask you that. Are you truly repenting of your sin? Repent. I mentioned before, right? It means turning. It means a change of mind and heart and soul and everything. It's doing a 180 of, of the road that you're on. It's going the other way now. It's running away from the sin. Have you turned from that habitual sin that you practice, like Paul talks about? Are you still playing around with things that you shouldn't do? God is calling you, and each one of us by His love. This is what breaks His heart when His children keep to that which keeps them from Him. Well, you see, the Paul wants the Corinthian believers to really understand and see his breaking heart, that they may be moved in their own hearts. 
to remember the works, remember what God did through him, to regard the love that Paul shows them, and to turn and repent of their sins. And you know, in the same way as I've been mentioning, God wants us to feel what's in his heart so that that would move our hearts to do the same as what Paul is asking the Corinthian believers to do. I'll close with this. The founding father, the main author of the Declaration of Independence and the third president of the United States was Thomas Jefferson. When he retired, he actually founded the University of Virginia. And because Jefferson trusted the students, he, would, he trusted that the students would take their studies seriously. He, he, would, he w- would not uh, press this, a code of discipline. He was kind of lax about it. Unfortunately, his trust was proved to be misplaced when the misbehavior of students led to a riot in which not only was property damaged, but some of the professors who tried to restore order were attacked. Well, the following day, they had a meeting uh, held with the university's board. Jefferson was a member of that and the students. Jefferson began uh, the meeting by saying, this is one of the most painful events of my life. And he tried to say more and began to say more, but suddenly he was just overcome with emotion, burst into tears and just sank back into his seat. Well, then another board member rose up and went to the front and asked the rioters to come forward and to give their names, basically, in confession and repentance. You know what happened? Nearly every student turned themselves in. Later, one of them explained why. He said, it was not Mr. Jefferson's words, but his tears. Are we not moved by the tears, so to speak? Should not our heart be broken because God's heart is broken over our lack of love, our lack of obedience to Him, our lack of of giving Him honor for all that He's done for us. And you know why God's heart breaks like that? It's because God loves you so much. And because he loves you, it affects him so much. Know this today. God loves you so much. And when you don't remember that, when you don't respond back with that, when you don't remove that separating sin, that's what we see with Paul and the Corinthian believers. That's what we see in these writings. That's what breaks the heart. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, God, I know that every one of us, even myself, we're convicted, Lord, of what we have found and and discovered here. God, as we study your word, you speak through it, Lord, and your Holy Spirit has been moving. And God, we humble ourselves before you right now, and and we ask, God, that you forgive us. and, And even as we move into this time of communion, Lord, we remember that the provision for forgiveness and cleansing is right there when you died on the cross. And so, Lord, we come to you bowing down at the cross, asking for your help, Lord. God, we see the sin and we want to repent. We want to live differently. 
And as we meet you here, God, will you transform us, Lord? Will you continue, Lord, to persevere and pour and be patient with us and pour your love out upon us, God? And help us to live that life, Lord, that you have given us, this new life, Lord, to be your children, be your people, to love you back, and to see you work powerfully through us as we are lights in this world. So, God, as we're honest with you right now, help us to not be like these Corinthian believers. And help us not to do what they did to Paul's heart. Help us not to do that to your heart today. Truly, God, as we see more and more of how much you loved us, we love you back, God. In Jesus' name, amen.